Hey guys, it's Phil. Thanks for being a part of the Vision Church podcast today. This message is part two of the kingdom of God where we talk about the benefits. You know, I remember that credit card company back in the late 90s that said that membership has its privileges. Well, citizenship and the kingdom of God has its benefits and they're not only for heaven, but we're supposed to bring, be a part of bringing heaven to earth. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Father God, I came here expecting to hear from heaven. So I thank you beforehand for what you're about to say. Give me ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, compliment your neighbor and you can be seated this morning. Tell them how good they look. Tell them how much weight they've lost. Oh, wow. Would you turn in your Bibles, if you have them this morning, turn over to the book of Psalms. We're going to hang out in Psalms a little bit this morning. And yeah, and I've got something in my heart that God has been speaking to me. Last week, we began to talk about the kingdom of God. And we talked a little bit, and and you can go back and you can listen to this message. It's on our website over at visionnwa.com. And you can get caught up if you want to get caught up. Um, but we began to talk about how Jesus came to earth, not to free the Israelites from the Romans, but to free the Israelites and everybody from Satan's control. Yes. Right? So he came to establish the kingdom of God here on earth. So you remember back in, in the New Testament, back, I'm sorry, in the Old Testament, back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve, they were deceived And what happened? Satan became the God of this world. His plan was he wanted to steal what belonged rightfully to you and I. God had created man and then he had given them full dominion, full control over the earth, right? He gave it to Adam and Eve and then they handed it over to Satan. Well, Jesus came back to restore again what the enemy had stole. So, you know, when sometimes when people say, Well, oh well, God is in control. How many of you have ever heard somebody say that? How many of you, don't raise your hand. Maybe you've been one that has said it. Well, let me propose to you something. Is God is in in charge, but he's given the responsibility of control over to us. Let me show that to you in the word. If you're there in Psalms, turn over to 115, Psalm 115. And we'll look at verse 16. I'll read it to you here, and it'll also be on the screen. It says in verse 16, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Because my question to you is, if God is in control, then why is this thing in such a mess? Because everything that God is in control of is amazing. I mean, the earth, if the earth just rotated off of axis just a little bit, all of us would burn up. Tell me that's not precise. Everything that God does is with precision, with accuracy, and it is perfect. 
And how many of you can look around the world and go, this thing is not perfect. It is messed up. And so if God is in control, why is it such a mess? Because he's given the responsibility of stewardship of the earth over to us. Look at your neighbor, say you. You're the one that's responsible. Yeah, no, I'm teasing. Don't say that. No, but we all collectively are responsible. So, I mean, you could go even deeper in this and say, okay, well, you know, the condition of our political climate right now, our responsibility. Our school board officials, our responsibility. Do you know that nationwide, the average is between two to 4% vote in a school board election? Wow, that's not really taking ownership. That's not really stewarding this thing. And so what, God, what Jesus did was he came to reestablish, this is what baffles me about God, is that he creates the world, he creates everything. If you have a problem with creation, go back and read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And then also make a trip near Cincinnati, Ohio and go to the Creation Museum. That would do you some really good uh, there and that'll help you understand creation. But so God creates the world and then he gives it to man. Man loses it. It takes years and years for Jesus to come and die on the cross, ascend to heaven, finish, do the finished work. I mean, just finish the job. And then what does he do? He turns around and gives it right back to us. Now, if that's not love, I don't know what is. That is trusting. Isn't that trusting? You know, I remember when my daughter began to drive for the first time. She turned 16 years old, and she, had, she, she liked to put the pedal down, you know? She liked to get there quick. She didn't mess around. And uh, Becca's always kind of been like that. She's been a button pusher, not, 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 physic, not your buttons, but I mean, I'm talking about like, she has to touch everything, you know? I want to play with everything. And, and so anyway, so I remember having that feeling uh, this, is the, this is the closest comparison I could have to maybe what God felt. But when I handed her the keys the first time and I watched her get in the truck and drive down the street. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, I'm in charge, but I'm no longer in control. <laughs> you know, because it's my vehicle, it's my insurance, my gas, yeah. but I'm not in control. Does that make sense? Okay, so people connect with that. Okay, good. All right, so in James chapter 2. We know in verse 26, it says, faith without works is dead. So this means that we will be held responsible. We've got to actually go to the voting booth and vote if we want somebody in office. We've got to actually steward the earth and turn things into a Garden of Eden. Uh, I remember, I know a pastor who purchased for his church, they purchased a mall and it was a dilapidated mall. It was falling apart. It had, it had been empty for many years. And they purchased this mall. And it was in an area of town that was not a great area of town. But you know what they did? They remodeled that mall. And they literally turned it back into a Garden of Eden. And so that's what Jesus came to do for us. When he died on the cross and he had restored the kingdom of God in us, what he's doing is he is restoring in us a, the Garden of Eden. He wants to put that back in you and I. Isn't that exciting? 
Yeah, okay, so the earth, well, how can that happen, Phil? Because the earth is under a curse. I don't know if you've looked around, but it doesn't look like the Garden of Eden. Yes, but Jesus died so that you and I could be redeemed from the curse. So in that, even though we live in a cursed world, we don't have to live cursed lives. Man, that, is, that was a good spot for an amen right there. So the kingdom of God has responsibilities but it also has benefits. Do you remember back in the late 90s, um, early 2000s, there was a credit card company that had a slogan that said, um, I have to read it because I've forgotten it. Just shot right out of my mind there. Membership has its privileges. Remember that? Okay, so citizenship in the kingdom of God has its benefits. And so if you're there in Psalms, turn over to 103. 103. I want to read a few of these verses and talk a little bit about the benefits. Uh, Good stuff. Psalm 103. Look at verse 2. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So this is something we have to live in remembrance of. This is something that we have to keep in the forefront of our mind. This is the importance of the memorials. In this nation. Uh, just recently, we went on vacation to Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where my wife was born. And uh, we had a great time because in Pennsylvania, you can drive to so many different places. And so we went to New York, but one of the places we went was to Washington, D.C. And we saw all of the memorials, the Lincoln Memorial, and, and saw the Jefferson Memorial off there in the distance. We'd been there before. You know, all these different memorials, the Washington Memorial, why are they there? to keep us in remembrance. So that's what we need to do with scripture is to memorialize it in our hearts so that we remember what's available to us. He said, forget not all these benefits. So that's good news. Here's another good news for you. Another verse, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, for all the promises of God, because another word for benefits is promises. All the promises of God are yes and amen. Wow. If that's not strong, I don't know what is. My, my kids, when they were growing up, um, leading up to, we pro- always promised them that we would take them to Disney World on our 20th anniversary. And so we were excited about doing that because we didn't want to have that whole screaming child experience at Disney World. So we wanted to wait until they were like 15, 16, and they could really appreciate more, I think. And so anyway, so we went. And, and, but leading up to that, it just seemed like everything Zach and Becca would ask us for, it was like, no, 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 no. And I thought, we, Nicole and I looked at each other one night and we just said, will you please give me something to say yes to? I want to say yes, please. And I remember we were leading up to the week, we had predetermined in our mind that we are going to say yes to everything within reason. Okay, it's got to be within reason. But we're going to say yes all week. And I remember you looked at me the night before and you said, are you ready to say yes all week? And I went, yes, yes. I was practicing the word yes because I hadn't said it. I had to remember what to say. So all the promises of God are yes. And so Zach and Becca got to pick the hotel. They got to pick where we were going to eat. We had the meal plan, where we were going to eat every day, what park we were going to go to every day. They picked the whole thing. Why? Because all of our promises were yes and amen. Come on. 
Yeah, so who are the promises for? I want to read this scripture in Acts chapter 2, in verse 39. Listen to what it says. This promise, these are the benefits that I'm talking about. This promise is to you and your children and to those who are far away. So if you've been born again, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, then you've become a co-heir. That means this inheritance belongs to you. It belongs to you. We talked last week about what if you inherited a thousand acres and you just never went to go look at it? Didn't want, weren't interested in what's on the property. You know, what if you inherited cars and houses and finances? Wouldn't you want to go and check them out? Wouldn't you want to drive the car? Wouldn't you want to see what the house is like? Wouldn't you want to experience your inheritance? But yet we have a society of Christians that are, are apprehensive to find out what belongs. Maybe, it's, maybe apprehensive is not the word, but they don't know what belongs to them. And to, today, I'm, I'm going to put you in remembrance. Okay, I'm, I consider myself the great reminder because I know a lot of the things that I say you've already heard, but I'm putting you in remembrance of it again so that it can become a revelation to you so it can manifest in your life. Amen? Okay, so let's talk about the promises. Uh, you're there in Psalm 103. Look at verse 3. Okay, so he said, forget not all of my, all, all of these benefits. He said, who, he, who forgives all your iniquities. First promise here, and these are not in any particular order. I just used the verses here as I went down through. So forgiveness, Psalm 103, later on in that chapter in verse 10, it says this. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our Iniquities. How many of you are thankful for that? (sighs) You don't get what you deserve. Thank you, God. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I've used this example before, but for those of you who haven't heard it, if I was to hold a week old baby up here and you had just gone to the Lord and asked him to forgive you and he had cleansed you from all unrighteousness and forgiven you, this baby would have more of a past than you do. Man, isn't that powerful? He wipes it clean as if you never did it. Thank you, Jesus. How about another promise? What about healing? That's the next verse in in part B of that same verse in verse 3. He said, who heals all your diseases. Let me encourage you in this. When you read the Bible, take it personally. Like it's a letter directly to you. That he's talking straight to your heart. And look for things that you can receive for yourself. I'll give you an example. Um, when we moved to Louisville, Kentucky, we lived there for about eight years and uh, enjoyed it. Louisville's a beautiful city. And, and so we were doing a lot of ministry there. And when we lived there, though, you know, every place that you go to when you're there for an extended period of time, you have to get used to the climate, right? Adjust to the climate. And I had never had warts in my life. I never had had any kind of a wart. And when I moved there, suddenly I had a few on, on a couple of fingers and, I, and a planter's wart began to grow on my heel. And I went, what is this? 
I've never had a warp. I know this is kind of gross, but go with me, okay? And so, anyway, so we went to the doctor. We got the one on the hill cut out. And of course, he wants to show it to you. The doctor is real proud. You want to see your wart? No, I want to see my wart. What in the world? And uh, anyway, so, uh, and then he says his disclaimer that, now this doesn't mean that you, another one won't try to grow maybe close to there or, you know, around the same area. And I said, okay, well, thank you, appreciate it. And I left. Well, a few weeks later, you know, my heel heals up and then suddenly I start feeling the same pain. Now, before, I had so much pain, it was excruciating. I could hardly walk on it. And I started to feel the same pain, and I thought, what in the world? And so I took my shoe off and my sock, and I looked at it, and another wart's coming up in the same spot. And I said, Lord, and because I had prayed, you know, about the other warts, you know, the other one. And I had asked God, you know, to take it away. Lord, heal me. You know, you promised I wouldn't have tumors. I mean, this is like, this is a tumor. That's what a small word is. Anyway, and, and so I said, well, I said, Lord, I need help with this. I obviously, this is a different battle. So I need to know how to fight correctly. So I was reading in my daily Bible reading, and I was in the book of Nahum. Now, honestly, that's not a book that I just flip to every time I'm going to my Bible to read. In fact, it's kind of hard to find, you know, but I'm reading in Nahum and I read chapter one and I find verse nine and verse nine says this, affliction will not rise up a second time. That leapt off the page. I went, oh, oh, it's going down now. Come on, Jesus. And I I took my shoe off. I took my sock off and I pointed to my foot and I said, Wart, did you hear that verse? Come on, man. I mean, Phil, you're talking to your foot. Yeah, you talk to your car. You talk to your computer. Come on. I tell you, you talk to all kinds of stuff. So don't get on me. I'm just, I'm talking to a wart that doesn't belong here. And so I said, I said, I'm telling you, I read this verse out loud. I said, this, this promise says that affliction will not rise up a second time. And so I'm speaking that over you now. In Jesus' name, I command you to dry up to decrease and be gone and you're not welcome back so the next morning I get out of bed and every time I stood on my foot I could feel it well I just get up and start walking around going about my day and I get ready to get in the shower and I realize I don't feel anything on my heel and so I look down at it and it it was half of the size that it was the night before it was diminishing come on Jesus and then that night, I get home, get ready for bed, take my shoes and socks off, and I look at my foot, it's completely gone. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, and on top of that, a week later, all the warts on my fingers left. Come on, Jesus. So that's a promise. That's a promise. Okay? So, Phil, are you saying we shouldn't go to the doctor? No, that is not why I didn't, why I did die. Did I say that? Did I stutter? No. I did not say that, okay? There, there are times, listen, when my mom was having her massive heart attack and I pray, after I prayed for her, the Spirit of the Lord said, take her to the hospital now. And it was so imperative because as soon as we got to the hospital, did you know that the heart surgeon had just finished with another patient and he was available and he operated on her. And she walked out of the hospital in 16 days. It was a glorious miracle, no side effects, 
massive heart attack. How many people walk out of a hospital? So, so what I'm saying is, you, you've come too late to tell this guy that healing is not a promise. But I think what we're not willing to do sometimes is to risk the embarrassment of laying hands on someone and praying for someone and believing God for a healing in their life. Well, Phil, how long should we pray? Until the answer comes. Well, how long is that going to be? I don't know. But let me tell you, recovery is just as much miraculous as instantaneous. Just because they didn't sense it instantaneously didn't mean it didn't happen. In fact, last week I was speaking with Masha. I don't mean to embarrass you. Masha, thank you for raising your hand. Um, but, she, but we had prayed. She had come forward because she, you said that your voice, uh, you, you had, it was hoarse for three months, three weeks. Come share that. Can, we, can she share? Is that okay? Because... Masha, yeah. Yeah, please, share. Say what happened. Um, so I had a, like, a hoarse voice for three weeks, and it was kind of like um, when you don't get like, voice rest, you, you start to lose it, I like your voice. And um, I was sleeping well, and everything to rest my voice was being done. Um, I started looking up, you know, remedies, honey, whatever. Um, and I was like at the point where I was just tired of it. And I think you mentioned when you called us up, you said someone is tired of this. And I was like, I'm tired of this. Um, because I work in the dentistry field where I actually speak to people all day long. And it was starting to get like exhausting by the end of the day. Um, and so I came up and I was just like, I'm tired of this. And so we prayed. Yeah. And then um, he had me test it. And then... Um, it was almost like I already was feeling the healing. And um, when we prayed again, like I was able to like start singing. And uh, by the next week, it was completely restored. So it did take a little while, but <laughs> it happened. And praise Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that, Masha. Appreciate it. Love that. So thankful, man. God is such a good thought. How about, how about this promise? The promise of protection. That's the next verse in verse four. He said, who redeems your life from destruction. He's a shield in Proverbs 30, verse five, it says that he is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Now, one thing that I've noticed is this, is have you, and, and I'm sure you've noticed it too. Do you notice that Satan never gets blamed for any bad things that happen? For instance, let's say there's a tsunami, a tornado, a hurricane that takes place. And what, does, what do the anchor people say? I've never heard one say, this is obviously an act of Satan. Have you? I mean, I never have. In fact, I've never heard a Christian say that. <laughs> well, maybe one or two. But I mean, and if you've heard a news person say that, I, I would love to see that real. That would be amazing. But no, they don't say that. What do they say? It's an act of God. You know, or some, you know, a debilitating disease or a plague comes and it destroys a person's life, you know, and, it, and it's able to take them out. And what do people say? God took them. So let me put you in remembrance of a scripture in John 10, 10. It says that the thief comes for three reasons. I'm going to paraphrase just to make it simple. He comes for three reasons, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. 
It's the only purpose that Satan has. It's to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, but I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly for you. So, so which would you rather have? Steal, kill, destroy? Or abundant life? Abundant life is another uh, promise that God has for us. Thank you, Jesus. Man, what about this next verse in, in, in uh, verse 4, part B? It says, who crowned you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Number four is love and mercy. In Lamentations 3, verse 22 through 23, it says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. And that's what he crowns you with that you can have that same kind of love that he has, that you can have that same kind of mercy to extend to other people that Jesus has uh, in his life. Man, how, how about that? That's amazing. Number five, words of life. In verse five, it says this, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Man, Proverbs eighteen twenty one says this. It says the tongue can bring life or I'm sorry, the tongue can bring death or life in the new NLT. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. So if you speak life, you're going to reap good consequences. If you speak death, works the same way in reverse. Man, there are so many other promises. I mean, there's eternal life promised us. In 1 John 2, 25, I love this verse. It says this, and this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life life. You're going to live forever. What about strength? His strength is made perfect in our weakness. That is so, so much good news. How many of you have ever felt weak? You felt like you wanted to do something, but you feel weak in your ability to do it. Well, I've got good news for you is it's not dependent upon your ability. It's dependent upon God's ability. His super can come on your natural and that would be spectacular. Amen. Wow, what about wisdom? In James 1, 5, it says, if you lack wisdom, you can ask of God and he'll give it to you liberally. All the wisdom that you need. What about peace? Oh, here's a verse for you. Philippians uh, 4, 6, and 7 says, be anxious for nothing. Means to care less about anything going on in your life. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, <laughs> the peace of God will come on you, amen? It'll, it'll surpass, that surpasses all understanding. It'll guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Here's, here's a good one if you feel alone, that that's another promise. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You'll never feel alone because I'm with you. Man, here's a good one. Fulfilled desires. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So when you delight yourself in him, that means your desires will, will line up with his desires. He knows what you like better than you do anyway. Yeah, that was a good place for an amen too. Yeah. What about life and blessing? We have a choice in this. In Deuteronomy thirty nineteen, it says, I call heaven and earth today as witnesses against you. That I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. He even gives you the answer. How many of you like open book tests? That's me right here. Come on. Yeah, choose life, he says. Oh, man, I could keep going. 
Here's another good one. I I need to share this one. I'm not going to share all of them with you, but in Philippians 4.19, this verse really set me free. It says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Needs met are a promise. It's not something you have to believe for because it said, it said, and my God shall supply all your need. Not some of it, not a part of it, not what you can't afford. All your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So how many of you remember last week I mentioned that we were believing God for a, an enclosed trailer? I just mentioned it during the offering, but we weren't receiving money for an enclosed trailer. It wasn't, we weren't, it wasn't something we were saying, hey, could you give toward this so we could buy an enclosed trailer? But I just said it casually, right? And last Sunday night, we had, the wor- we had the worship night at the warehouse. Those of you that don't know, we have a warehouse that we bless families in need with brand new products, furniture, uh, clothing, you name it. And we have a war- warehouse full. And so we work with other churches and 501c3s to identify needs. And like yesterday, we took our first set of furniture and blessed uh, a home with it, just set them up. I was excited about that. Yeah. Amen. But when I said that, yeah, thank you, Jesus. But when when I'm talking about your needs, when I said that about the enclosed trailer, I didn't really think about it. Well, I got a call that afternoon. A guy in the church said, hey, I I, I, you know, I heard, heard that, you, that you need a trailer. He said, I have one. It's sitting right out in front of my house. I don't even use it. He said, could you guys use it? I said, absolutely. And so he, he said, well, I'll bring it Sunday night. I'm going to come to the worship night. and You can look at it and see if you want it or see if it's going to work for you. And so he brought it and I looked at it. I said, man, this is amazing. This is going to work perfectly. And he said, well, my wife and I prayed about it. And we're just going to give it to you. Yay. It's going to let you have it. Yeah. Okay, wait a minute. I feel, I, feel, I feel the need to read that verse again. Wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. And my God shall supply yeah. all your need. He knew we needed a trailer. Yeah. I needed to deliver furniture yesterday. Yeah. Guess what it wrote in? The trailer. Yeah. It, was, it was awesome. Here's another promise that maybe didn't get talked about very much. Jesus is coming back. Yay. He's returning. Yes. In John 14, verse 2, it says, In my Father's house are many mansions. He said, I I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. So that where I am, there you may be also. You know what tickles my heart? Is that Jesus wants us to be where he is. That just thrills me. Man, there's no better place that we could be than in the presence of Jesus. There's no movie you can go see. There's no sunset you can watch that would be better than his presence. What about freedom from fear? That's another promise. He said, fear not in Isaiah 41, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So how do we inherit the promises of God? Real quickly, I want to give you three things. One is we inherit them by believing in his son, Jesus. Becoming his children. Then we become co-heirs with Jesus. Number two, we inherit them by allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us. See, God is not calling us to live perfect lives. He's calling us to walk in the Spirit. 
on a daily basis, to be led by him. In Galatians 5, verse 16, it says this, so I say to you, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. In verse 18, it says, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation of the law. See, the, the devil's big lie is that Christianity is all about rules. And no wonder that Satan wants you to believe that about God and Christianity because that's who he is. He is the, he is the complete totalitarian ruler. That's the devil. That's Satan. Satan wants to control people. He would love to be able to control you, but he can't. All he can do is sow thoughts and hope. And what he, that's why at an early age, he tries to set the hook so that he can stick the fishing pole in the holder. And then all he has to do is just glance back and look at it once in a while. Make sure you're still on there. Wow. Wow. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says this. It says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And then number three, we inherit them through faith and patience. In Hebrews 6, verse 12, the Bible says to imitate those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. One of those may not be your favorite word. I think faith is. But we're growing in patience. So in closing, I want to share something with you. I'm going to ask Rebecca to come. I want to share a video with you. I, I saw this testimony, this vision, actually, um, that Dan Moeller had. And when I saw it, I just, I couldn't talk for about 15 minutes after I was done listening to this vision. So I'd like to share that with you now. So if you'd give your attention to the screen. I got a vision in my bedroom in about... 1999-2000. It was probably before 2000. I was in my bedroom interceding and praying. I, would, it was, I was probably a pastor. It was probably 98-99. It doesn't really matter. It was way back there. Yeah. I was in my bedroom and I was praying and I was interceding and just praying, being with Jesus. And I had a vision. It wasn't with my eyes open. I had my eyes closed and I was singing and I was praying and this vision unfolded in front of me and I stopped singing and I had music. I had a piano playing just on a CD. It was just flowing and playing and, and I was just, just had that flowing and I was just standing there just kind of probably swinging like this and the vision just unfolded. I never opened my eyes. You know what I mean? I saw these corridors that were dark and dingy. There were little lamps, kind of looked like a movie scene when you're inside a whole bunch of caves that all meet in a big living space and or all come together. And there was little torches at the mouths of the holes. And there was all these black silhouettes and figures. And there was hysteria. It started to unfold that I could hear them. And there was cursings and they were freaking out. This group was freaking out. And there was a tall figure in the center of the chaos and all the figures and the silhouettes that I was seeing. And he, he was standing, he was hooded, and he was just standing like this. Silent and motionless, I saw a side view. He was like this. You're in a vision. God's given you understanding. I knew it was hell. I knew it were demons. I knew it was Satan. A newspaper came through the vision. Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And a big, bold exclamation point passed right through my vision. 
a newspaper headline, Jesus Christ raised from the dead, and it just went out of the picture. And I could hear hell freaking out, screaming at Satan, you fool, we should have never followed you. We're finished now. God has brought salvation to men. Men can be filled with God's spirit. Men can walk in the authority of his name. We are destroyed. We are finished. And they were freaking out because when they saw what they did and their eyes were open and all the scriptures came to light, they were freaking out. And Satan's standing there, and it reminded him of Ziglag and David, and when the town got burned, and they took all the women and children, and they wanted to stone David, and everybody was freaking out on David, and David had to encourage himself in the Lord, and that's the scene it reminded me of, only it was demons and the devil, and he has authority, and he's, he's the devil, so he was head and shoulders above everybody, and it represented authority, and I knew who he was, and he's hooded the whole time. And all of a sudden, he lifted his face, and I saw this figure of a face, and it got a sinister look on it. And he yelled real loud, even though they were all freaking out, and they looked like they were turning on him. He said, silence, and they all, silence. And he said, it is true we played into the hand of God. It is true that we opened the door for salvation to men. It's true that we shed innocent blood, and that blood is now in the mercy seat in God's throne room. It is true that we played into the wisdom of God. He said, but we do not have to be moved, and we do not have to fret. He said, we know we can't defeat God, but we know, we know we can defeat them. We have defeated them from the beginning. This is what I heard. Remember Eve? Ha, ha, ha. Remember Adam? Every man is for himself. Every man lives for himself. God has paid a price for salvation to men, but we can stop it. I want you guys to come in here. They all came in. They're in a big huddle. He says, don't worry about them building churches. Don't worry about them preaching. Don't worry about them praying. Don't worry about their gatherings. Let them gather. Just keep their hearts far from who he is. Keep them hurt. Keep them frustrated. Get them to compete. Make them argue over their beliefs. Do whatever you can to keep what he paid for becoming real to them. Keep men stuck within men and keep them the same. But let them do what they do toward God. But make sure they're hurt inside, frustrated inside and unforgiveness inside. Come on, guys. We know men. We know them from the beginning. Every man is for himself. We can do this, guys. And by the year, whatever I heard, by the year, whatever what it was, 2098, 99, it'll be no big deal. It'll be an Easter story, but there'll be no apparent change on the earth, even though God crucified his own son. And I'm standing there bawling in this vision thinking, how much has this come to pass? When you look at all the arguments in the church, all the division, all the stuff that has happened since that time. 
And he huddled them in and he said, we can do this. And it was like a rally before a basketball team or football team. They get somebody in the middle and get everybody fired up. And then they all run out in the field. That's what he was doing. And he said, we can do it, guys, to the four corners of the earth. Keep them blind. Keep them deceived. Make it all about them. Let their ministries be about what they're doing. Let's let them do it in the name of the Lord. But it's all about them. Keep it. And he was shouting all this stuff. He said, we can do it. And they're like, yeah. And they broke and everything went out the holes, out the caves. And Satan was standing there all by himself, still in that position, shaking his head. And I opened my eyes and I cried for a very long time. I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny or, or to ruin a, a sobering moment. Um, but it makes me think of that, the movie Bugs Life. Because the whole story of that movie was that the ants didn't realize all along that they were very powerful, that they outnumbered. They completely outnumbered the grasshoppers. But the grasshoppers were keeping them oppressed. See, Satan is the king of deception. I mean, he's had 6,000 years to, to figure out how to manipulate and how to control people, uh, but not be blamed for it. He's figured out a way to get us to bicker against each other instead of coming together because he understands the power of unity. And what I'm here to say to you this morning is that God wants to walk down that fish line where people are hooked and snip the lines. He wants to snip the line in your life that has held you bound to Satan's control in an area of your life because that's, that's exactly what it is. It's Satan controlling people. That's what he does. And we don't talk about it. So we don't want to give him any airtime. But my Bible says that we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. Well, you're only not ignorant if you know how he operates. Otherwise, yeah, we are ignorant. And I would say that a large portion of the Christian community is ignorant because Satan has a lot of control in different areas of our lives. And so this morning is a wake-up call for us. For all of us. It's a wake-up call to realize who we are in Christ and what our identity truly is. You're a child of God. You are his son, his daughter. And he has given the all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. And now he is empowering you to walk in that authority. Because I'll tell you what, Satan is scared to death of one thing. You finding out truly who you are and realizing what he's done and what he does in your life. 
Because when you realize it's Him, He'll no longer be able to, to manipulate, manipulate you. All of us know what it's like to be manipulated by someone. It doesn't feel good. And this morning is a wake-up call for you. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray. Well, just close your eyes all around the auditorium, would you? Thank you. Thank you for respecting this moment, reverencing this moment that we're in. Father, we just thank you. Man, let's just thank him right now. Let's just press into the presence of God just right where you're at. Just begin to thank him, begin to worship him. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just love you. Father, we praise you and we honor you in this place, God. We glory in your presence. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love.